So what happens if you actually try to live out all of these Beatitudes, these attributes that should define a Christian? There's a good chance you'll be persecuted. In fact, God asks when you are persecuted, not if. What are you going to do? Persecution looks different for different people in different places. Here in North America, we may never have to lay down our life for our faith, but we most certainly will need to lay down our pride. We need to stand up against injustice when others stay seated. We'll need to let go of our standard of living so that others may simply live. We'll have to risk looking stupid to follow the omniscient. We have to let go of the good to grab hold of the best. We'll have to let go of our plans to enter into God's dreams. It's a good idea to figure out what you would die for. Because this will determine how you live. Well, good morning on this Remembrance Day to all of those of you who are gathered here at Central Campus, as well as those of you who are tuning in from one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, northwest part of Calgary at the Crowfoot Theatres, and those of you who are watching online in the Calgary area and from different parts of the world. We greet you in the name of Jesus. You know, when I was around 13 years of age, I was flipping through a fitness magazine and I saw an ad that had a picture of a bodybuilding champion by the name of Joe Weider. You probably don't recognize that name, but he's kind of the mentor to Arnold Schwarzenegger, which some of you may know. And uh, like so many infomercials you see today, Joe promised me that if I purchased and if I practiced the secrets of his bodybuilding techniques, one day I too would have a muscular body like him. Well, that day never came. But at the time, I was hooked. And so I ordered a copy of his training techniques and I began to work out faithfully. And to keep me motivated during those very difficult, intense workouts, I put a picture up of Joe Weider's winning Mr. World pose right in my uh, weight room. And that picture served to remind me of my goal when I got a bit discouraged and also of what I hope to look like one day after submitting to this training. Now, I share that with you because I would like to suggest that the, that, that is precisely what Jesus was doing when he verbalized what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. He was painting a picture for us of what our life can be like when we put our total trust in him and submit to his will for our lives. In the same way that Deanna, over the course of this series, has been uh, painting her impressions of each of the Beatitudes on canvas. And we so appreciate that. I remind you that Jesus is not giving us a list here of things that we need to do in order to please him or in order to get to heaven. No, in, in the words of an, of, of an author, there are, these are the beatitudes, not the do attitudes. And so let's keep that in mind as we review each of these beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed 
are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that God is God and that they are not. That they are spiritually bankrupt before God and incapable of living victoriously without Him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve over their sin, repent of their sin, and embrace God's grace by faith and weep over the things that break the heart of God. For they will be comforted in knowing that they are in Christ. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are not preoccupied with themselves, but surrender to God's control, are gentle toward others, and not afraid to stand up for what is right. For they will inherit the earth. They will enjoy life and be content in this life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who crave to know Jesus and to be like Jesus and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who extend grace and forgiveness and compassion to others. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have a single-minded devotion to seek God and to seeking His agenda first. For they will see God. They will see God clearly at work in and around their lives. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who do all that they can to help people be reconciled with God and with one another. For they will be called children of God. Others will see Jesus in them. This is a description of those who are part of God's kingdom, who are under the rule and the authority of God. We don't always live out these qualities perfectly in our lives. But I remind you that God is not so much concerned about the perfection of our lives as he is the direction of our lives. And these beatitudes describe the direction that our lives will take when we surrender our lives totally to Jesus Christ. And so with that overview, we come now to the eighth and the final beatitude. And here's how Jesus put it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you if people persecute you. No, he said, blessed are you when people persecute you. One thing I admire about Jesus is that he was always candid. He was always honest about the cost of following him. Jesus didn't paint 
a glamorous picture of, uh, you know, at the outset in order to attract a, a large crowd. And then whisper as they all disappeared, oh, by the way, I failed to mention that following me will require full devotion and it may cost you your life. Jesus didn't function that way. Right here, Jesus is serving notice in no uncertain terms that those who follow him fully and faithfully can expect to face opposition and rejection. Expect it, he's saying. And they did. All the apostles, except John and Judas, were martyred. Some were beheaded. Some were crucified. Some were slain by the sword or the spear. Some were stoned to death. Others were beaten to death with clubs. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24... It tells us the Apostle Paul endured all kinds of persecution as well. He faced prison, floggings, beatings, stoning, shipwrecked, faced death numerous times, and of course was ultimately martyred. The early Christians also suffered incredible persecution. In those days, the Roman Emperor received worship from the people. The temples were built to honor his so-called deity. And because it became compulsory, once a year for everyone to burn incense to Caesar and to say, Caesar is Lord. Whenever Christians were confronted with the choice, Caesar or Christ, they uncompromisingly chose Christ. And just like that, law-abiding Christians became outlaws. Just like that, law-abiding Christians were the enemy of the estate. They, they, they were uh, threats to Caesar. And for their supreme loyalty to Jesus Christ, Christians died by the tens of thousands and faced torture beyond description. Some Christians were thrown to the lions. Others were burned at the stake. And these were kindly deaths. Nero had Christians wrapped in pitch and set them alight, using them as living torches to light his garden. He had other Christians sewn in the skin of animals and then set his hunting dogs after them to tear them to death. Christians were tortured on racks while molten lead was being poured out upon them. Their eyes gouged out. Now these things are not pleasant to think about. But they were realities for these early Christians who took a stand for Christ. And we see similar kinds of torture and persecution happening to Christians all the way down through history. Including our own day. Gut-wrenching persecution of Christians continues to happen in numerous regions of our world. The voice of the martyrs tells us that every five minutes... A Christian is martyred for his or her faith somewhere in the world. Just this past Sunday, for example, a church in a predominantly Muslim area in Kenya was the target of a grenade attack. The pastor of the church was killed and 11 others were were seriously injured. The grenade 
which was thrown onto the roof, tore through the, 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 the sheet metal roof, and it landed right on the podium from which the pastor was giving his sermon, killing him instantly. Someone said the grenade was so forceful that it, it uprooted a tree a, a significant distance away. The Voice of the Martyrs website reports that police suspect an Islamic terrorist group to be responsible for the attack. Other churches in Kenya have been the target of similar attacks. But you know, as, as, as awful as this particular instance is, it is one of only, it is one of many that are happening around our world. It's estimated that over 200 million Christians on a regular basis are suffering torture or harassment or rape or imprisonment or slavery or kidnapping in over 60 countries of the world. Now we in North America, we just have a hard time relating to this kind of persecution. And as a result, truth be told, most of us likely give little thought to the subject of persecution of all because we, we sort of figure it isn't going to happen to us. So what does it mean to be persecuted? In the Greek language, the word persecute means to pursue. It means to chase after something, like a hound dog chasing after a fox or after a criminal that's on the loose. When I was in junior high, a friend and I got into a snowball fight with several high school girls on the way home from school. And because... There were only two of us, and there was just a pack of them. We, we kind of lost that initial battle, but we were determined to win the war. And so we ran ahead uh, of them, and we waited. And we waited for them to come around the corner store at the end of our block. And while we were waiting, I formed a large, firm snowball. And then, as if guided by some mysterious force... I launched that snowball perfectly. And when those girls came around the corner, that snowball found its target with amazing precision and impact. Well, if I hadn't been able to run to my house for safety, I would have died that day. Those girls stood outside of our home taunting me to come out and face them like a man. And they vowed that they would not rest until I paid for what I'd done. And for months after that time, those high school girls pursued me. They chased after me like I was Brad Pitt. <laughs> and I feared for my life every time I stepped out of our home. Now you know why I suddenly, at the age of 13, took up weightlifting. To persecute means to pursue, to harass. Now, I should point out that there's a difference between punishment and persecution. Dan Bauman says that punishment is what good people do to you for doing evil. Whereas persecution is what evil people do to you for doing good. As much as I hate to admit this, those high school girls pursued me not to persecute me for doing good, but rather to punish me, to bring justice for something that I did that wasn't so good. 
I feel impelled to point that out right now because one of those girls is all grown up now and attends our church. (laughs) Her story of the events that happened that day might just be a little different than mine. (laughs) Now, notice Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And he doesn't stop there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being obnoxious. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being rude, insensitive, being a nuisance. You know, sometimes we bring persecution on ourselves. In his book, The Gospel Blimp, Joe Bailey tells the story of how some Christians in a smaller city decided to to share their faith by employing a blimp, not the Goodyear blimp, but what they called the gospel blimp. And they um, floated the gospel blimp over the city. And they began to drop thousands of gospel tracts into the yards of all of their neighbors. And the townsfolks were, were, they were okay with that. They took that and they were fine with that. But then the believers decided that the town wasn't paying attention And so they installed this large sound system to the blimp. And they began to blare the gospel at football games and at other times through the week. Well, this crossed the line for the people in in the community. The, The paper was aflame with editorials about privacy being invaded and so forth. And their tolerance changed to hostility. And and a short while later, someone sabotaged the sound system of the gospel blimp. And when the owners of the blimp discovered it, they cried that they were being persecuted for righteousness. Now, folks, sometimes Christians are persecuted not for their Christianity, but for their lack of it. Sometimes Christians are rejected because they're just plain rude, insensitive, obnoxious. Other times, believers are rejected because they're self-righteous and judgmental. And sometimes, believers are rejected because they're just lazy and irresponsible. You know, years ago, my dad employed two Christian men in his construction firm who were both pretty open and verbal about their Christian faith. The one man was a hard worker, a man of integrity. He walked the talk. He... He was humble, he was kind, he was sincere. He had a a gentle disposition. The other man spent more time talking than working. He was often late for work. He had a self-righteous attitude. And when he talked, he often sounded like he was angry and judgmental. Which of these two men do you think won over the hearts of the other crew members and actually had the greatest impact on their spiritual lives. You see, both claimed to be Christ followers. Both were open about their faith. They were verbal about their faith. They weren't afraid to talk about their faith. And yet the one was despised. And he was despised because of his legalism and his judgmental attitude Love did not characterize his life. 
And also because he was seen as lazy and a poor worker. And yet, he told me that he was feeling persecuted by other members of the crew. You know, the reality is sometimes we bring persecution on ourselves. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about us being a peculiar people. But that means to be a distinctive people, not weird or offensive. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are called to be different, but not in an obnoxious way. We are called to live beautifully and to be beautifully different. Living beautifully different is to live righteously. And to live righteously is to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus. And the Bible tells us that those who seek to reflect the love and the character of Jesus in their lives, they will face persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how are we persecuted today for righteousness' sake? Well, I've already talked about the kind of persecution that literally millions of fellow Christians are facing all over the world. We need to pray for them, folks. We need to do all that we can to support any efforts that seek to put an end to these injustices against our brothers and sisters in Christ. But what about where we live? How are we persecuted for righteousness' sake here in the West? John Stott says, Persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. It is a clash of two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. If you live all out for Jesus, you need to be prepared for pushback from those who see life differently than you do. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus says, Be forewarned, people will insult you. They will persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, a spirit-filled Christian who is totally surrendered and sold out for Jesus will be a human conscience in his community, in his network of relationships. Go down to verse 13 of Matthew 5. Notice right after the Beatitudes what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You bring godly flavor to life. You uphold and you preserve what is right and good. He says, you are the light of the world. You reflect the life and the character and the values of Jesus Christ. And when the light of Jesus Christ shining through us touches the soul of those who uh, are in our sphere of influence, it causes them to begin to examine their own lives and their motivations. You see, a life of love and generosity often reveals to others how unloving and how stingy they really are. A humble life often exposes pride in the life of another. A gentle and a compassionate spirit often reveals to others 
how harsh and how critical and callous that they really are. And in time, they will either be drawn to Jesus through you or they will begin to resent you and what they see in you. You will become an object of scorn. And that's going to be played out in various ways. Some will just avoid you. They may be polite to you, but they've concluded that you're just weird. And they'll have little to do with you. Dr. Gerald Jamplosky, a noted psychiatrist, was for 25 years a very strong, devoted agnostic. Then one day, his life was totally transformed as he embraced Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And sometime later, he was asked, Doctor, before you became a Christ follower, what did you think about Christians? His response was typical of so many. He said, for 25 years, I thought that people who went to church and prayed and believed in God, they were not normal. Frankly, I thought they were really kind of sick. Now, he says, I realize that I was completely wrong. They were normal. I was not. Furthermore, not only will some avoid us, but others will scoff at us. Jesus said they'll insult you. In Second Peter chapter 3, we read, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will scoff at the believer's beliefs, values, and lifestyle because they are looking for a reason to keep living the way that they are. Former atheist and award-winning journalist Lee Strobel says, before he became a Christ follower, he asked difficult and even unfair questions of Christians. Not because he was genuinely looking for answers, but because he was looking for any inconsistency, any reason to support his skepticism and to justify his, in his words, his self-serving and immoral lifestyle. Others seek to justify their way of life by looking for any inconsistency in a Christian's life. They watch a Christian's life like a hawk. They're looking for any sign of hypocrisy. They're looking for any sign of irresponsibility, any sign of moral failure. For you see, if they can find evidence that the Christian is no different than anybody else, then they feel justified to just keep rejecting the Christian faith as well. Others will give you unpleasant work to do. Will exclude you from certain social networks will pass you up for a promotion because of your convictions, because of your ethics. That's just some of the ways that we're being persecuted for righteousness. The list could be very long on this subject. Now make no mistake, we are persecuted not only by unbelievers, but we're also persecuted by other believers. And this is really sad. As you go through the scriptures and if you read church history, you will discover that some of the most grievous persecution that has occurred down through time came from fellow believers. You know, few things are more heartbreaking than to see Christians ignore or exclude or make light of, make fun of fellow Christians 
that they consider to be too spiritual. A little too radical in their faith. A little bit over the top. Come on, let's be rational. Let's keep everything between the lines here. Over the years, I've seen parents quench their teenagers' passion for living all out for Jesus. Because you see, they wanted their son or their daughter to have just enough of God so that they live right and they're good and all that. But not enough of God to mess up the plans that they have for their children. Plans for a certain education, plans for a certain career. Oh, don't get too carried away. I've seen spouses throw cold water on their partner's desire to live all out for Jesus. Even their partner's call to ministry because they didn't want their lifestyle changed. All of these ways are subtle ways that people suffer persecution. However, I believe the greatest source of persecution we North American Christians face today will not be physical persecution, people insulting us or scoffing at us or even lying about us, as, as, as awful as those are. I believe the greatest source of persecution we face as Christians in the West is refusing to embrace the values and the lifestyle of the kingdom of this world and instead embracing fully the beliefs and the values of the kingdom of God. It is refusing to believe our world's definition of success and fulfillment and the belief that living the good life and being successful in this world is more important than living all out for Jesus and preparing ourselves and others for the life to come. The Apostle Paul describes the kingdom of the world this way in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Paul says that people who are part of the kingdom of this world will worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. And church, as I pointed out at the beginning of this series, there are voices all around us seeking to allure us to buy into the values of the kingdom of this world to daily convince us to give our lives to created things, to the good life, to the temporary things, rather than to the eternal things of God. And the persecution that we face does not involve torture. It does not involve facing the prospect of losing our life. No, it is a very subtle form of persecution that involves making a decision to die a little each day to our selfish ambition, to die a little each day to earthly pleasures and applause in favor of investing our lives in the eternal things of God. Decisions that make perfect sense to God and yet seem ridiculous to those who do not believe in God. It may, for example, 
involve turning down a promotion. Because even though a promotion will mean greater status, a, a greater sense of success in our, in, our, in our world, and far more money, it will also mean little or no time to invest in our family or to fulfill the mission that Christ has called us to. When your peers at work find out what you're thinking of doing, they will say, are you crazy? This promotion will afford you all the bells and whistles of the good life. How can you turn this down? And in that moment, as you second guess your decision and count the cost of your decision and make a decision that is so counterintuitive and countercultural, the temptation, the fear, the feelings of insecurity and uncertainty that you experience in that moment is actually a form of persecution. Karen Burton Maines, in her book, Soul Alert, points to research that says Christians spend seven times as many hours on entertainment than they do on spiritual activities. Seven times. That means for every hour you give to something that's spiritual, you're giving seven hours to some form of entertainment. Many Christians claim that they have so little time for family. They have... No evenings free to do ministry with others. And yet research clearly indicates that most will spend hours every day engaged in some form of entertainment like watching television. And so you see, dying to self may involve making a decision, a countercultural decision, I might add, to invest that time that you normally would use for some kind of entertainment to join others in reaching out to your neighborhood or in some ministry that's making an eternal difference in the lives of others. Or just spending time with God. As you begin to invest your life sacrificially for others and you see friends, perhaps family, spending most of their evenings engaging in various forms of entertainment and you find yourself tempted to pack it in and to join them, that temptation, that moment of temptation is actually a subtle form of persecution. Enticing you to take it easy, to focus on temporary pleasures rather than on the things that break the heart of God. Dying to self and to your ambition may involve making a decision to live more simply so that you can free up more resources to meet the needs of those who are in poverty. And as you give yourself sacrificially, you see your neighbors, you see most everyone else that you know spending most of what they make on themselves, upgrading their homes and their cars and their toys and their wardrobe, and for just a fleeting moment, you are overcome with giver's remorse and you contemplate packing it in and living like everyone else. Your accountant says, you're crazy. 
That temptation and that uncertainty that you're facing is actually a subtle form of persecution. It's the voice of the earthly kingdom beckoning you, alluring you to give your life to the temporary rather than the eternal things of God, to unpack your suitcases and to become a permanent citizen of the kingdom of this world rather than a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, if you don't want to experience persecution, then simply buy into the world's value system. Live like the world lives. Spend like the world spends. Laugh at its humor. Immerse yourself in its entertainment. Smile benignly when God is mocked. Focus your energies on just having more and living the good life. Do that and you won't experience a lot of persecution. If you don't want to face any persecution, keep your faith a secret. Don't share your faith. Believe that all religions converge on the same road. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the need for a Savior. Don't talk about the need to repent or the reality of hell. If you want to be sheltered from persecution, spend all of your time with Christians. Exercise, golf, dine with your Christian friends only. Attend only Christian schools and colleges and spend the rest of your time talking with Christians about all that's wrong with the world and how we need to separate ourselves from those unsavory influences of the world. Do that. And you may believe all the right stuff. You may have your theology down pat. But you won't be making much difference for the kingdom. And you won't be facing any persecution either. I remind you that Jesus says very clearly here in Matthew 5. That his followers will face persecution. Precisely because they are on mission with him. And because we choose to live counterculturally. Beautifully different than those in our society. Kent Hughes says the church that's not persecuted is no church at all. He says if we have never faced rejection, if we've never faced the smirks, the, the sarcasm, just for admitting that we're Christians, for sharing our love for Jesus, if we never feel the fear and the uncertainty of choosing to live simply and beautifully different from our culture, he says we need to ask ourselves, are we truly God's children? Or are we just faking it? See, that's why Jesus said joy comes to those who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. Because it proves that we are part of God's kingdom. We can rejoice and we can be glad because persecution in the way that I've talked about it in this message authenticates our sonship in Jesus Christ. Now let me be very clear at this point 
Please don't condemn yourself if you haven't been persecuted like some people I referred to earlier who were tortured or abused or imprisoned or even martyred for their faith. In his final beatitude, Jesus doesn't call us to be persecuted. No, he calls us to pursue righteousness and he says that in doing so, we may face persecution. Furthermore, don't condemn yourself if at this moment in time you are not undergoing persecution. No one is persecuted all the time. But Jesus clearly says whenever we choose the path of humility, the path of the poor in spirit, rather than seeking after our own interests, Jesus says whenever we choose to be merciful and forgive rather than harboring resentment. Whenever we choose to be meek and gentle rather than giving someone a piece of our mind. Whenever we choose to be peacemakers rather than troublemakers. Whenever we choose to step out and share Jesus with others. Whenever we choose to live simply and counterculturally the way that we've talked about when the temptation is to quit and to give in and just to live like everyone else. We are exposing ourselves to persecution in Jesus' name. Jesus says true joy and fulfillment comes to those who face persecution because of their devotion to him. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we submit ourselves to God, when we have the conviction that God's kingdom is worth living for and also worth dying for, we will make the amazing discovery that since we have surrendered everything that we are and everything that we have into his hands, our safety, our pride, our dignity, our reputations, our possessions, our loved ones, since we've submitted all that to him, there's nothing left for others to take away from us. And in return, he gives us the kingdom of heaven, the rewards of heaven. And what God gives to us, folks, no one can take away. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Let's stand together. I just want to take a moment right now for us to um, just reflect on what, on Jesus' teaching here and what this means for us. And I guess what I want to ask you, is there anything that you just need to confess and give attention to? Are you being persecuted for the wrong reasons? Could it be that you're facing rejection because you're often insensitive, perhaps a little self-righteous? in the way that you interact with others who don't know Jesus. Jesus said we are to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. He also said that our life, that our relationship with others is to be characterized first and foremost by love. Are you bringing trouble and persecution on yourself 
because of a lack of love? Just spend some time right now and just ask God to search your heart. Talk to him about that issue right now for a moment, would you? Maybe you would have to admit that you're really not persecuted at all. You haven't been for a long time. What's behind that? Have you been obedient to Jesus? Have you been following his promptings? Have you been dying to some of your ambitions? You know, the Apostle Paul died a martyr's death and he was prepared to do so with joy. He was able to do that because years before he made a decision to die a little every day to his ambition and to his desires. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I die daily. In other words, he's saying here on earth, I become downwardly mobile each day, even as Christ was, so that when the time comes to leave this earth, I'm going to be holding on to the only one that really matters, and that's Jesus. I'm not going to be holding on to anything else because I died to it. Every day, Paul died a little ple- to a little pleasure, to applause, to selfish ambition. Every day, he gave more of his life over to God. Friends, I believe that we too can find the joy that Paul had in persecution the, by dying a little every day to our selfish ambitions and to our obsession with money, possessions, and power and pleasure. Just take a moment right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you about that. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the living word, Jesus, for sending him to us. I want to thank you for the written word and how it speaks directly to us. I want to thank you for the teaching of Jesus here and what we refer to as the Beatitudes and and how parts of it have made us nervous because... It is so counterintuitive to the way that we tend to think and the way that our culture tends to think. It's revolutionary and it doesn't seem to be normal. And yet, Lord, we know deep down inside that it is, that it really is the pathway to joy, true joy. Lord, uh, I want to pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who live in different parts of the world right now, who live in fear every day, whose lives are on the line every day. God, I pray that you would bring the governments, those who are doing this, Lord, to justice. And Lord, that your people in the free world would direct prayers, would direct resources 
to ending that in the lives of these people. Lord, we live in a world where we have so much. We're so blessed and it's hard to even fathom that we're persecuted at all. And yet, Lord, in some ways, sometimes what we're called to, though it appears more simple at first, is actually very difficult because it's in the little things and the little dying to the little things that those decisions need to be made. And Lord, it's so countercultural to do them. But I pray, Lord, that you would move in each of our lives. That it just wouldn't be something that we know to be true, but it is something that we would live out. And that is to live fully for you and for your kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of God and to say no to all the things that beckon to us in the kingdom of this world. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we're just passing through. This is not our home. Help us not to pour concrete in this home, Lord. Help us not to unpack our suitcases like this is it. Oh, Lord, we're just passing through. Remind us every day of that as we go about our lives, as we make decisions. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.